Well, good morning. You ready for the Word of God? You've got some notes. You're going to need these notes today. So I'm going to invite some of my friends to come down. If you don't have the bulletin with you, um, you need one today. So um, we printed out several extras. Uh, we know that sometimes you guys grab a lot of moonway, so we printed out several hundred more. Um, if you need a bulletin, um, raise your hand. They're going to hand you one of those right now. Um, and we're going to jump into some stuff. And I'm going to be calling out different passages of Scripture for you to be able to jot down so that hopefully the Word of God will jump into your heart and jump into your mind. It will transform your life. It will move you forward. So they're going to be able to do that right now. First, uh, before anything else, write down Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Uh, if you're new here, yes, we somewhat expect you, whether you're watching online uh, and sitting on a couch or at a kitchen table or whether you're sitting in this place, we expect you to take notes because we know that once you write it down, it's four times more likely to impact your mind and it sticks with you. And we want to be impacted by the word of God, by God speaking into our lives. So write down Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? And then it says that this is not of your own doing, right? This is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. And we know that it's a gift from God. So we know that we are saved by grace. We are saved through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by good works. You can't be a good enough person. You can't achieve enough. One of the reasons I say this all the time is you need to hear it. Another reason I say it all the time is because I need to hear it. Right to make it personal. I cannot achieve it. Joel Wayne cannot achieve salvation in Jesus Christ. It is a gift from the Son of God. So we need to hear that. And the reason I'm starting this way is because we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, what we have is incredibly important. What we have in Hebrews chapter 11 are uh, models of faith. So if we know that salvation is by faith alone, then we want to learn from the models of faith in that regard. Salvation is by faith alone, so now we want to learn from the models of faith because this letter is being written to a bunch of individuals who are being told, give up your faith. Just go back and live out the practices of the family legacy that you have, of the Jewish traditions and the habits and the rituals. Just live that out and then relax and just live your life. And they're going, no, we can't. We need to live by faith. So there's this struggle. So they are being given examples in Hebrews chapter 11, these heroes of faith, the people we admire. They're being given examples of people that they should be looking to that demonstrated powerful, that modeled powerful faith. So we are then forced to evaluate whether or not we have the same type of faith as an Abraham. And that's who we're looking at today. Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 20. Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 20. Um, because this is an individual, Abraham, that we're able to learn from. So that's what we're going to be looking at today um, as we jump forward. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to put a little uh, a bit of a, of a note in here about something completely different. You're going, why well, break it up? Um, it was referenced earlier in the service if you were already in here. But man, there's a lot of brokenness in the world and a lot of hurt in the world. And um, I think about what's happening in the Ukraine. I think about different things that are taking place with Russia, all these different things that are unfolding before us. Um, I cannot say thank you enough for who you are. 
um, literally, I'm getting messages from a friend of mine um, who he has missionaries and pastors in Kiev right now. They've been preparing for this because they knew it was coming. And in the moment, like literally, like they're ready. They've been preparing. They know what resources they need. They know how to spend the resources. They know what everything taking place. So literally, in the moment, we're like here's ten thousand dollars from Chapel Point. We're going to be giving them more as well. Um, that is what collectively we can do as the body of Christ. But we also need to be praying more than anything else. Um, I know we love the Word of God here, and we just want—I I, I just want to—I would teach this four hours every Sunday. Let's just come. You show up around seven thirty. We'll go to the lunch time, and then you can give me a cheeseburger, and then we'll go for four more hours. That's what I would do. But we need to recognize what's taking place around this world. And so we just lift a hand with me right now as we pray, God, for our brothers and sisters in Christ right now that are suffering and that are hurting, give them perseverance and endurance. I think about people of faith, examples of faith, and many of them are examples of faith right now. As they've been preparing for this, may we know how to support them in our prayers, but also in other manners as well. Amen. I mean, that's what we have. My friend Paul Davis, um, he's president of ABWE. He's the one who sent me a message, and they've got missionaries there, and they're working, and they're doing their thing. And I'm like, right away, he's letting us know these people, they're examples of faith. They're examples of faith. And so here's Abraham, this example of faith. And let me tell you, we're going to be, it's going to challenge us today on whether or not we're, we have this type of faith. Is this the type of faith that we really have? So before we even jump into Scripture, I'm going to give you about a three-minute summary of the life of Abraham. I'm laughing because I could preach for a few months on the life of Abraham. But I know that a lot of you are newer to church. You're newer to faith, and I want you to have at least a general understanding of his life and why it's so important. Um, may, some of you grew up singing. Um, finish this, if you would. Father Abraham... Okay, so many of you know that, right? We will never do that again. <laughs> Just say no. Um, the, uh, <laughs> we know it well, but others don't know it. So here's, a, here's an, an understanding of Abraham, okay? Um, and I would tell you, if you really read uh, Genesis chapter 12 through uh, Genesis chapter 22, um, I'll give you some more summary of this later on, even give you some understandings of those chapters. That'll help you understand the life of Abraham and how important it was. Now, prior to Genesis chapter 12, what we understand and what we know is as we start looking at this model of Abraham, this example, this powerful person, what you have is a man that is being used by God to bring relationship to humanity after pride was revealed. This is after the Tower of Babel. So what happened in the Tower of Babel? It's really the, the, the coming of the people together, and they're so prideful about what they can accomplish collectively that God broke them all up into many nations and into many people, many tongues, so that they were no longer in that relationship that God originally desired for them to be in. Because they, they started collectively coming together, and instead of being appreciative for what they could do collectively, they became prideful over what they could do collectively. Big difference. 
And so then you have the Tower of Babel. And so all of a sudden, God is going to use Abraham to reestablish and to build relationships with the people once again. So here's Abraham. He lived roughly 2,200 years to 2,000 years before Jesus Christ. All right? That was rough time period. We could go into, I get 2180, and, but 2,200 to 2,000, just trying to communicate in a way that you can remember it. And he was born in the city of Ur. Now, um, this... Let me show you a map so you can just very quickly see. He was near the, uh, the, the, the Persian Gulf uh, originally, way over there on the far right. You see Ur? Do you see Ur? Yes? Babylonia right there. Do you see that? So this is where he was, and then he went up, and you can track it to Haran, and then he came down into the Mediterranean Sea area. All right? Um, that was later on. So this is the journey he's about to take. Now you're going, well, that's not that far. Well, it's a, few thousand, it's a couple thousand miles. It's a long way. And they didn't have planes, trains, or, okay, I was thinking carriages. Um, they didn't have all of those things. So this was, this was tremendous outing. All of a sudden, this is the journey that they're going to be making. So right away, we're already challenged. Abra- God comes to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12 and says, hey, I want you to get up, and you're going to leave everything that you know, and you're going to go somewhere else. So this is what we see unfold and happen. Now, his father was Terah, um, and uh, he was 130 years old at his birth. We know that Abraham was not the firstborn, but what's interesting is that he's listed first. Now, um, I'm always careful about how many details I share because I don't want to get lost in it, but firstborn children are, are really, really important uh, in, in biblical times, and they were the heir to whatever else that they had uh, in terms of the family. Here's Abraham. He's not a firstborn, but he's listed first. And I have to believe that he's listed first because he would be the heir. Because God came and said, I'm going to use you from numerous descendants. It shows you the value and the importance of an Abraham. Um, Abraham was roughly 70 years old uh, when he was there in Ur. And then all of a sudden, um, God spoke up and says, you're going to go somewhere else. And he has a really interesting journey at that point. Um, in Genesis chapter 12, I've already referenced it once, but God calls Abraham out and he says, I need you to leave your home. Genesis chapter 12. Um, and it'll be a great activity, seriously, for you and your family, friends to read through this. It says in uh, Genesis chapter 12, it says, then the Lord told Abram, leave your country, your relatives and your father's house. So he left his country. He left his relatives, right? And his father's house which then your father's house is everything. That's what would establish your future and everything that you knew. It says, go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So God makes this amazing promise to Abraham about what, at this time Abram, but about what God is going to do with him. And he has to make a decision whether or not he's willing to do it. To get up, leave everything that he knows. So God calls to Abraham to leave his home. Um, that journey, he obviously decides to do it, but it had numerous trials along the way. I mean, at one point, Abraham's going, hey, honey, his wife is Sarah, um, Sarah to Sarah, and just like Abram to Abraham. And he has to look at his wife and say, listen, these people are going to think that you're my, uh, if they know that you're my wife because you're so beautiful and who you are, they're going to kill me. So tell them that you're my sister. 
That's part of the journey. We're not getting into that today because it's not what the scripture in Hebrews 11 talks about. But just amazing, amazing events. Um, God even promises them a son. Um, this is important. This, you find this in Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis, you see right there, God gives a promise of a son in Genesis 15. This is important because they're older in life at this point. Abraham was roughly 99 years old when he had a son. His wife, Sarah, was 91. Now, my, my wife is actually traveling today. She's out of town. But I'll tell you now, and, and I'm, I'm 48. My wife is 26. Um, and what I'll tell you now, if my wife came to me and said, hey, honey, we're having another baby. And I'm only 48. Um, like, even thinking about it, I think fetal position. <laughs> Do I hear an amen? amen. All right? I, I just go, oh. I, I'd be like 90 when they're going to college. I, not really. I know how to do math better than that. But I'm still just, I'm computing it, and I'm going, like, right now my kids want to get down and wrestle sometimes, and I'm thinking about doing that again in 10 years, in 15 years. I'm like, oh, my, my back will be thrown out every day, and um, I, all these different things come into play. So that's part of the journey as well, is that all of a sudden God's promising them, hey, this is going to, I'm going to give you a son, and, and, and this is in Genesis 15. God is promising them um, this very thing that she's not going to be barren, and she's been barren, and now she's not going to be barren. Um, but then we, we see in chapter 16, Abraham also struggled at times because he tried to find that descendant the way he wanted to, and so he slept with his wife's maidservant, basically, and Hagar and wanted to have a child in that manner and did, but it's not what God promised. And there's a whole story there. In Genesis chapter 17, you have this covenant being made of circumcision and the value and the importance there, a sign of a covenant with God. God passing his promise to future generations is what that really is a sign of. And then in Genesis, if you fast forward to Genesis 22, we find Abraham is going to be tested the very son that he was given, his son that he was willing to sacrifice. What's his name? Isaac. What's his name? I'm trying to get you to remember it. Abraham, that son that God promised that his wife ended up having at the ripe age of 91, ends up where Abraham has to make a three-day, roughly 50-mile journey in order to make a sacrifice and he recognizes in that moment that the sacrifice would have to be his son. He's willing to sacrifice the very person, but not only that, the very way that God had promised to provide and making him the father of many nations in essence. And he's going to have to give that up. And he's willing to give that up until God then eventually he provides a, a ram in the thicket in order to be sacrificed instead of his son Isaac. All of these things are happening, and there's so much more to his life. But the main idea of this is to, to help us understand that here's Abraham, and he's the model of faith. One of them last week was Abel, right, and Enoch, and Noah. Well, now we have Abraham as this model of faith, of endurance, of persevering in the midst of hardship. Faith isn't a matter of not ever making mistakes. Faith is a matter of holding on and trusting God, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty. That's the model that's being painted for us in Hebrews chapter 11. So we have to evaluate our own life and go, do I have a faith that's willing to endure, that's willing to persevere no matter what? And so then we come to Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 12. 
So let's read this portion together. Will you stand for the reading of the Word of God? Um, I've underlined even more for you this week. Um, Are you ready? Yes? By faith, Abraham... To a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. By faith he and the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, those are the sons, right? Heirs with him of the same promise. For he was to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself. To conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So the word of God, you may be seated. So it starts with the very, very, very first phrase that you called out. It says, by faith Abraham, and then you read, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. Now, if you look at the participle here in Hebrew, what we learn is that God called Abraham to go. And if you look at this in the original language, it was in the, an immediate response. God looked at Abraham and said, I need you to go. And so he got up and left in the moment. Uh, one of the struggles that you're going to see and understand that we have today with our faith and our understanding of who God is, is that we often think that God is speaking to someone else. Sometimes we even believe that God is speaking, but he doesn't really mean it. If God says, get up and go, we often go, okay, cool, what else? We don't ever even obey, obey him. We just didn't say, what else? What else does God have to say? Well, guess what we just ignored? God said to what? So get up. If you, get up. If you, just get up and then leave. Go tell everybody you know about Jesus Christ. I think that's great because we need the seats. All right, so <laughs> I, I, God said get up and go. So now we're to get up and go. We, we treat God's voice as though he's always speaking to someone else or he's speaking in a manner in which we just kind of pass by that what we don't want to hear. God said, Abraham, get up and go. And so guess what Abraham did? He left his family. He left his traditions. He left his nation. He left everything that he knew, and he got up and he left. Genesis chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11 is referring back to this beginning with verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And it says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Do any of you struggle with obedience when you don't know what the end result is? Abraham didn't know. I mean, I, my kids, if I say, hey, guys, I need you to do this, and if they say why, one, it's going to be a bad day for them. It will be. But it shows you our postures. We often want to know whether or not we've determined if something was worth doing before we're obedient. Your job isn't to know if what God is asking you to do is worthwhile or not. Your job is to be obedient if you claim him to be the heavenly father. That's it. We think way too highly of ourselves. So Abraham, obviously, it was one of the amazing things about Abraham is that he was willing just to step in and to go ahead and be faithful. 
and he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Listen, this is what you have to know. When God called, Abraham obeyed. He just obeyed right away. It was immediate. He heard from God, and he jumped in, and he was faithful. He didn't know what the future was going to hold, but guess what? Faith doesn't need to know the future. Faith doesn't need, if you're a person of faith, you don't have to know the outcome. You don't need to know the future. You don't need to know the outcome. Your faith isn't determined by legacy, your family legacy or heritage. You're going, well, how about Abraham? Abraham came from a, a family and a culture and a society that was pagan. At best, it's polytheistic, worship of numerous gods, rather than monotheistic, which is the worship of the one true God. That's where he came from. That's his legacy. But God, he recognized, he knew his voice. God spoke into his life. As a result, God spoke, and he responded to that voice. God spoke, Abraham obeyed. It wasn't defined by the culture too many times. What we see today is our faith is being defined by culture. Well, the culture says that you shouldn't say the name Jesus. Right? Especially in schools. If you're a teacher or anything like that, let me go ahead and tell you, I'm, I'm that guy who automatically, when I walk into a school, I see how many times and how many ways I can loudly say Jesus. I'm that guy. Because he's the only name worth mentioning. So we bow to the culture, we bow to the world, and we say, well, they don't want us to do this. And so then that's what happens is the culture defines who we are in terms of our faith. But the culture didn't determine Abraham's faith. Hear it clearly. The culture didn't determine Abraham's faith. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. What outside factors are determining your faith? Answer it. I write it down. What are the outside factors determining your faith? I already mentioned things like culture. I mentioned like family heritage or family legacy sometimes determines our faith. Not knowing the future can sometimes determine our faith, whether or not we're willing to step in and to be obedient to God in faith because do we know what the outcome is going to be? Because we love our control, right? We love playing the as long as. We speak about this all the time at Chapel Point. God says, go do this, and we go, sure, as long as. As long as it doesn't mean I have to move. As long as it doesn't mean that I have to give up this, this amazing thing that's always been with my family. As long as, as long as, as long as, as long as. If Abraham would have played the as long as game, then God would not have used him and we would not be speaking of him today as a model of faith. It's that simple, friends. And so what is the outside? What are the outside factors determining your faith? And something that we see over and over, and I, I want you to recognize God desires to use you. Not in the way you want to be used, in the way he's already planned for you to be used. That can be a problem for us as well. But know this, that being sent, being sent, what is God sending you to do? Being sent is almost always the precursor to being used by God. In order for Abraham to be used, he first had to recognize he was sent. We see this over and over and over again in Scripture. God will send you maybe to a new job so that you can impact those people. God may send you to a new school so you can impact those people. God may send you to a new neighborhood, or he may ask you to move. God often sends us maybe across the street in order to have a relationship with someone else. I, I truly believe that everybody who lives around me, some of them are right here in this worship service today, is they are part of my mission field and my community of believers. And I'm to make sure that they've at least heard the name of Jesus. It's on them whether or not they receive him. That's my job. That's why I was so bummed when I had a new neighbor move in down the street and I found out they were a pastor. 
I was like, I don't need Jesus. Well, maybe. Right? I'm like, what are we doing? So that's, listen, we need to know that being sent is almost always a precursor to being used by God. Where is God sending you right now in your life so that you can be used by him to further the kingdom? What does that look like for you? And I know that you may not want to be sent. We love our comfort. We love our control. We love knowing what the outcome of something is going to be before we ever say yes. But our goal, our objective is to be obedient. I remember when, right, I looked at my wife years ago and I said, hey, honey, I don't know why, but I'm supposed, I don't know why, but I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to speak to this church in Michigan. And she goes, is that, like, what, is that a state? Is that a, we had never been here before. And so sometimes in order to be used, you have to first be sent. And so where is God sending you right now? What does that look like? And that's not always a geographical move, but sometimes it is. When we look at this passage as well, in Hebrews chapter 11, it continues on in 13 through 20. And I want, to, I want to read some of this. Just listen to this, if you would. I don't even have it up here on purpose. So it just says, it starts speaking about all these faithful ones. Now, remember the faithful ones from last week. You got people like Abel and Enoch and Noah. And now you're looking at people like Abraham and Sarah. All right? Because in this passage, it talks about how Sarah, together with Abraham, was able to have a child. Um, and even though they were too old and Sarah was barren, Abraham believed that God would keep his promise. And so God did that very thing, right? But in verse 13, it says, all these faithful ones died without receiving what God had promised them. Like, not everybody that you see here lived in order to see all the fulfillment of all the promises of God. But they were still faithful. This is the model of faith. This should be our life. Why are you doing this? You don't know if you'll ever see that. I don't care. God asked me to do this. My job is to be faithful. Not to know the outcome. My job is to be faithful. That's it. To the full word of God. I'm not going to manipulate any of it. I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to subtract from it. That's what our culture is doing. Is They're subtracting from it. Well, God is love. Well, you got to talk about it in full context here. What's that really mean for us? And so we've removed from it, and the more we remove from it, the less value it has. So he says, listen, not all these people saw everything that God had promised to them. They, were, they also agreed that they were just foreigners and nomads here on earth. And obviously people who talk like that are looking forward to a country they can call their own. They knew that this was temporary. This life was temporary. Their job was to be faithful because what they really look forward to is eternity with the Heavenly Father. It says, verse 16, they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a heavenly city for them. This is not, I'm about to say something, I didn't say in the first service. I, I want to say it here though, because, but I do not want it to be, this is not a guilt statement. I just preach the word, this is what it is, go. This is not a guilt statement, but I, for me personally, this is where I go, oh wow. It says, this is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
I just pray God's not ashamed to be called my God because I'm so faithful. It's not a guilt statement on you to say, is God, is God proud to be your God or anything? But it's something that makes you and forces us to evaluate whether or not we're being people of faith just as Abraham was a person of faith. Because it tells us in verse 17 and following, it says, by faith Abraham, when he was even tested, and this talks about Isaac. So I was mentioning this previously. Now in verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, he's speaking about Isaac. And it says, by faith Abraham... When tested, offered up his son Isaac, who received the promises, right? In the act of offering up his only son. He considered that God was able to raise him even if he had to sacrifice him. And so by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau as well. Abraham is a person. Remember, we're trying to model after his faith. And this is what we learn, is that Abraham demonstrated obedience with sacrifice. So I want you to consider how Abraham responded to God. That's what we're going to be doing there. So we're going to consider how Abraham responded to God in faith. And what we get to do is we get to live our life. Remember, this is an example for us. So if this is a model, an example for us, we are forced to put our life on top of Abraham's life when it comes to faith and to determine whether or not we are people of faith and what that looks like for us. And when I look at Abraham's response to God, um, maybe, the, maybe a better question even to ask is, what, what keeps us from having this type of faith in God? Right, to be willing... To not let culture drive our faith or our family heritage or legacy to drive our faith. What, what allows an Abraham to do what he does? What keeps us, that's a fair question, what keeps us from having this type of faith? Right? If you desire to be used by God, and yet we know we started with this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but it's also found through throughout the letters of Paul, we know that salvation is in faith alone, then we want to model this type of faith. What keeps us from living that type of faith? And we can go into all types of things. So I want us to have a little activity, though. I already asked if you had the bulletin. Get out that bulletin if you haven't already. Hopefully you've already taken notes. And I have some friends coming out. They're going to help me with this. And this is what I want us to consider. Um, what you see on this is you see your bulletin here, and you have a post-it note right there. So I want you to use that post-it note. Um, and I want you to write on top of the one that is removed. All right? Anybody else wish they would have invented post-it notes? And I want them to help participate in this because I think it's good for you to see others do this. At the top of that post-it note, I want you to write down one word. And I, if we summarize... If we evaluate the reasons we don't step into faith the same way Abraham does, the same way Enoch did, the same way Abel did, the same way Noah did, I think it's one word. You know what it is? Fear. So write down fear at the top of the page if you would. Go ahead and write it down. You should all be writing right now. And then this is what I want you to do. 
what is the greatest fear you have in life that keeps you from living out your faith? Be specific. And I'm going to give you some examples. I took a soft survey. Some people around me. Uh, one said health of dying. They just fear dying. Somebody said their marriage falling apart. Um, someone said the fear of being alone. And so then they hold on to people maybe they don't need to be holding on to because that's better than not having anybody. That'll preach. Some said the fear of rejection. A couple of guys said the fear of being known because if they're known, they're fearful of being rejected by who they are. And so they'd rather not be known, but they have a fear of not being known. I'm like, holy cow, this is too deep for me. But it's a fear. Fear of failure, fear of not pleasing God. We have fear of failure, of inadequacy. I've already reminded you, you need to go back and listen to last week's sermon. Right? Fear of rejection. I'd rather just call it out because who are we supposed to model after? These people of faith like Abraham who didn't have to know what was to come, who didn't have to know where they were going to end up. Right? They didn't have to have control of everything. But friends, if you have to control everything, that means God's not in control. And no offense, God is so much cooler than you. So now, if you would, I want you to take that post-it note, and I want you to take it off. Go ahead and make the noise. It's such a good noise. You're learning a lot about me right now. And we're going to get rid of that. And then on the, that was good, that was good. Right here on this one, I want you to write down the one way. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, What's the one thing that is demonstrated over and over and over and over again that we need to best learn from? And I'm, I'm, I'm keeping this as simple as I can. The biggest thing that keeps people from living this type of faith is fear. The greatest thing that allows these people to live this type of faith is trust. So write down the word trust at the top. And this you're going to keep. It's right there for you. You can't rip this one off. And I... I'm going to invite you to write down one way that you need to begin, one area that you need to trust God in that you're currently not fully trusting God in. What is it? It can be a relationship. It can be a marriage. It can be a job. But I want you to write this down. Because in time, what you're going to learn is that the, every one of these examples, right, I think about this guy, Noah, last week. I want you to build a boat in a desert the size of Queen Mary, like massive. Will you do this? And we would say that they're crazy. Abraham, you have all of your family. I want you to just, just pick up everything you have and leave all that you know and just travel. We would call them crazy. Guys, rarely is demonstrating faith something that we as a world would say is logical. But I want us to step toward knowing what God is asking us to do rather than simply continuing to live in that which we desire because we had better know the difference. We had better know the difference.
So what is that area for you that you're willing to step in and start exercising some spiritual muscles that maybe you've never used before? Abraham had enduring faith, a persevering faith, right? Abraham had a vertical view of God. This is another simple way to think about it. When you have a vertical view of God versus a horizontal view, a horizontal view of God means that you believe really God is here to serve you and to meet your needs. If Abraham would have believed that, we wouldn't be talking about him today. A vertical view of God recognizes that God is the author and the perfecter of life. What he says goes, and you're simply willing to submit to that because it's not about getting what you want. It's about being subservient to the one true God. And so now all of a sudden, here's the cycle. The culture defines our faith because the culture says you just be you and nobody can tell you what to do. No, if you have submitted to Jesus Christ in faith, he has full authority over your life. Otherwise, you actually are not a believer. You have a wrong understanding of who God is. I'd rather you just hear it right now. That's the word of God. That is scripture. That's what I'm bound to. And so Abraham had a persevering, an enduring faith, a vertical view of God. And it was determined by trust, not outside circumstances. Are you willing to step in to a full view of faith? Are you willing for God to speak and you say yes, no matter what it is? Where is God wanting you to demonstrate faith that until now you've been unwilling to demonstrate faith? What is that for you? And so, God, I come before you. I give you thanks for who you are and what you've done. I thank you for these friends and ask that you would just speak into their life right now, God. I think this this is an opportunity for all of us individually but also collectively to examine what you've called us to. To examine the step of faith you're wanting us to take. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be logical, God. It doesn't have to be what our family would approve of. It doesn't have to be any of that. We just simply need to know and to hear your voice and then to be obedient to it because we trust you. God, may we trust you. May we trust you. In all of your ways, may we trust you. We don't have to know the outcome, God. I'm declaring it now. We don't have to know the outcome because we trust you. What you ask of us doesn't have to be in agreement with what the culture is speaking because we trust you. And so, Lord, may we know what you're asking and may we step in fully to obeying you. We submit all of our lives. In Christ's name, amen.